Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining Church on the Real Real. That's R-E-E-L, as in the multi-platform broadcast. R-E-A-L, as in having a genuine conversation or true dialogue about faith-based issues. I'm your host, Donna Means. Today, I'm starting off with a challenge. It's a difference test with two parts. To participate, grab a piece of paper and a pen. I will give you a little time to get that in case you're not prepared. I'll wait. Okay, are you ready? All right, this is how it's going to go. In the first part of the test, I will provide a list of groups. Using a scale one to five, rate your comfort level with that particular group. A rating of one indicates you're extremely comfortable in engaging with the specified group. A rating of five would be extremely difficult. And a rating with three would be neutral ground. Here we go. Engaging with someone with a different race or ethnicity. Engaging with someone who is a different financial status. Engaging with someone holding different religious beliefs. Engaging with someone who expresses different views on divisive social issues. Engaging with someone who is in a different age group. Engaging with someone who is differently abled than yourself, physically or mentally. We're going to move on to the second part of this test. And we're going to use the same rating system. However, we're going to provide two answers for each group. The first rating would be how you believe your church congregation would respond. And the second rating is based on your own comfort level. If you're currently without a church or don't attend church, that's fine. You can just do the rating based on your feeling. Ready? Here is the scenario. It is Sunday morning. You're fully dressing your Sunday best and your hair is freshly pressed. You're feeling blessed. You arrive at church and you sit in an empty pew. During praise and worship, late parishioners are falling in to be seated, but your pew still is empty. Then they came in. On a scale of one to five, rate how you believe your congregation would respond and how comfortable you will feel in having them sitting next to you. A dirty, smelly, homeless person. A young woman covered in body piercings and tattoos. A wealthy businessman with a reputation for giving to nonprofits. A group of ex-convicts from the nearby halfway house. A married gay couple 
with two adopted children. A progressive politician running for Congress. A large family with special needs children. A transgender male or female. Hold on to the test to review after the podcast. Today's topic is favoritism and prejudice in the church. James instructs Christians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, to avoid partiality. He uses classism as an analogy to introduce his points. He condemns favoritism, labels it as discrimination, and considers it the product of evil thinking. While he uses an example to highlight injustice towards the poor, it is not intended to confine the issue of favoritism to classism. James is concerned about the harmful and contentious mentality. Favoritism and prejudice are types of isms. Isms are distinctive doctrines, philosophies, systems, or practices. Isms in the body of believers is damaging, diversive, and can lead to schisms. Schism is a split or a division between strongly opposed sections or parties caused by differences in opinion or belief known. Favoritism and prejudice work in tandem. Having preconceived notions without bias, having preconceived notions without basis and reasoning or personal experience is what constitutes prejudice. Like favoritism, there are different types of prejudice, such as racism, sexism, ageism, classism, homophobia, and religious prejudice. Just to name a few. In favoritism, you have the buddies of nepotism and cronyism. Ignorance is the primary cause for engaging in these behaviors. In the classism illustration, the wealthy, well-dressed man receives preferential treatment over the underprivileged one wearing the shabby attire. Why? Most likely a presumption was made about the dapper man. He may seem as educated, conscientious, and someone who makes sensible judgments. Is this always the case, though? James draws attention to the ironic situation in which the rich man might have received his lavish lifestyle at our expense. He could have come from a well-off family through birth. His show of money may be a sign of greed, treachery, and selfishness. Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, NIV says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is a challenge for wealthy to relate to the Lord Jesus since he came as a lowly servant. Christians who lack promise in the world should be glad because the Lord holds them in high esteem. In James chapter 1, verse 9, he refers to the brother in humble circumstances. The brother in humble circumstances is a person without status or wealth. Even in today's churches, these folks are often disregarded. Yet God does not ignore them. The impoverished should rejoice that God does not value wealth. Otherwise, God would view them as worthless. The wealthy should rejoice that money has no fundamental value to God since money is readily misplaced. Our spiritual lives, not our financial assets, 
or where we find genuine richness. God is more concerned with what will endure our souls than what will pass away, our money and possessions. We show favoritism to the wealthy because we erroneously believe that wealth is an indication of God's favor and approval. However, God doesn't guarantee us financial prosperity or other heavenly blessing. Christ challenges us to be willing to sacrifice all for him to hang on to eternal life. We elevate someone's looks above their character when we praise them only for their impeccable attire. This attitude is improper. The weak and the poor are those whom God would prefer, yet he regards all people equally. Do celebrity, wealth, and prestige easily sway us? Are we apathetic to the have-nots and biased towards the haves? When we are uncomfortable with our responsibilities to others who have less than we have, we occasionally act in this way. We act in this way because we prefer to give recognition to successful individuals over those who are viewed as failures. It is possible that we share their desire for money and would like to use it to promote our own goals. We could be expecting that the wealthy individual would join our church and contribute to its support. These are self-serving endeavors. Both the affluent and the impoverished are not seen as fellow people in need of fellowship. When we are engaging in making presumptions, stereotyping, labeling, and discrimination, it is done so in a crude, inaccurate manner and not based on fact. The common denominators between favoritism and prejudice are the fact that it doesn't align with Christ's teachings is caused by negative and evil thinking. It's demeaning to those who bear God's image. It's a result of selfish intentions. It contradicts how love is defined in the Bible. It exhibits a lack of compassion for the less fortunate. It's hypocritical. It's a sin. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, we are given an account of the prophet Samuel's mission to anoint a king for the nation of Israel. God had rejected Saul as king and sent Samuel to Jesse the Bethamite. Upon seeing Elab, Samuel was convinced that he had to be the chosen one. In verse 7, God corrects Samuel by telling him, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Both believers and non-believers in Jesus were astounded by how tolerant he was to individuals who were rejected and persecuted in the first century Jewish society, such as Samaritans, the Gentiles, women, children, prostitutes, tax collectors, and lepers. Most individuals draw towards others who are like them due to some unspoken rule of human nature. If we do not battle this inclination, we will eventually grow more weary of interacting with others who are different from us. Experience has shown that this sort of suspicion and mistrust may result in bias and discrimination, which can take a variety of different forms. God has commanded the Christian community to appreciate our similarities and look past our differences. Apostle Paul says, there is no Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Echoing James's criticism of partiality in the church, James presents three principles of faith. 
First, a crucial element of faith is dedication. By just endorsing the correct concepts or concurring with biblical truths, we cannot claim to be Christians. Our hearts, not thoughts, must be given over to Christ. Second, true faith naturally results in righteous deeds. The life of a true Christian will be altered. Third, religion by itself is meaningless since it does not help anyone. James agrees that salvation can only be attained through faith. Paul asserts that only faith can bring about salvation. James highlights the benefits of religion, including a changed life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 through 26 in IV says, The eye cannot tell the hand, and the head cannot tell the feet. I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. While the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The human body is compared to the body of Christ in this chapter, showing how important each church member is to the whole. Each part of the body plays a specific role that is vital for the entire body to function properly. If even a minor part of the body is removed and appears insignificant, the entire body loses its function. Each part of the body has a unique reason for being a separate parts, so they must work together. If we answer the questions honestly, we may discover areas of opportunities to change our mindset and to overcome our biases and to focus our energies on good deeds. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Please join me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. My handle is Church on the Real Real. On Twitter, it is Church on the Real, R-E-E-L. Please like, follow, and share the content with others. Additionally, on the Anchor.fm platform, you can leave a voicemail message on each podcast or respond to the survey questions. Again, thank you for tuning in. Please join me next week. Until then, God bless.